So in this season, um, we're thinking about what it means to move forward from brokenness to wholeness, going through the Beatitudes and uh, the principles of a ministry called Celebrate Recovery, which is based on the Beatitudes. And just very quickly, I want to recap where we've been. So we talked about um, the first Beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit, and the first principle of Celebrate Recovery, which is to admit that I am powerless to control my tendency to do the wrong thing and that my life is unmanageable. And, And the value of that poverty of spirit, right, that I can't keep my life in order. And then we talked about blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And the second principle, that um, our godly grief leads us to believe God exists, that we matter to Him, and that He has the power to help us recover. And then last week, we talked about the beatitude, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Uh, And the third principle of Celebrate Recovery, which is uh, that we should consciously choose to commit all our life and will to Christ's care and control. This morning, um, because there are eight principles of Celebrate Recovery and because um, we're going to do this series in six weeks, uh, we're going to double up, okay? So we're going to talk about um, two Beatitudes and and two of the the CR principles today. Uh, The first one, though, is blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And I've always thought this was a particularly intimidating instruction or beatitude because um, being pure in heart is a really high standard, right? On my best days, I think I'm pretty good. Uh, And on my worst days, I think I'm pretty bad. Very rarely do I think that I am perfect. And and purity is about being perfect, right? About about being 100% the way God desires us to be. Um, Purity is something that um, we don't even realize how often we don't have. So maybe you know this already, but uh, the Food and Drug Administration has um, what they call defect rules, and and these are the guidelines for how much stuff can be in your food that you don't think should be in your food, okay? Uh, So there are rules, for example, about how many um, insect parts can be in your food. Uh, Whole insects are a no-no in general, um, but you can have a lot of insect parts so if a ground cinnamon, for example, can have up to 400 insect fragments per 50 grams. So if you really like ground cinnamon or crushed or ground oregano, um, insect parts uh, are, are replete in that. Um, there's another thing that the FDA mentions. They call it mammalian excreta, okay? Just work with me here. Mammalian mammal excreta, stuff that you excrete. You figure that one out. Um, there are rules about how much mammalian excreta can be in your food. Um, and it's in all kinds of spices, but also in uh, cocoa beans, from which we get our chocolate, um, and also in wheat and popcorn. So think about that next time you put some kernels in the popper. Um, there are uh, rules about how many mites and maggots and all kinds of gross things can be in your food. Uh, my favorite one, however, is there's a rule about um, insect heads, uh, particularly just the heads. So apparently in fig paste, you're allowed to have up to 13 insect heads in every 100 grams. Now, I have a lot of questions about this. I want to know how they get just the heads in there and nothing else. Um, I also want to know, I don't really know what fig paste is, but it sounds slimy. Um, But if you like fig paste, and the next time you're eating it, you feel something crunch, it may not be figs. Okay, let's just, let's just be honest. So here's, here's the point in all of this, right? The point of all of this is, um, if you are sitting down at, to, to lunch at someone, with someone and they serve you some fig paste and it's crunchy, 
uh, or, or popcorn and there are some mammalian excreta in your popcorn, um, you're not going to say, oh, that's okay, let's just go back to the same bag and try again, right? Um, your standard is going to be pretty high, I think, for insect heads in your food. In fact, it's probably higher than the world's standard. Uh, and in fact, um, I hope you're going to say you're looking for real purity, right? Uh, God's looking for the same thing in our lives. Our world may have a pretty low standard of what purity means, um, but in our lives, God has a pretty high standard. Uh, he doesn't want any of that junk in there. Uh, and, and in fact, if you're like me, it doesn't take a lot of um, convincing to point out that we're not quite pure, in fact, I think sometimes the reverse is our problem, that we are so overwhelmed by our guilt or our shame because we're not pure, we're not perfect, we're not the way God wants us to be all the time, um, that that kind of just weighs us down, and, and it sometimes can make us almost hopeless. So I want to think this morning not about what it means to already be pure, but about how we become pure in heart. Um, and, and there's a, a great video about um, this from the skit guys that talks about um, having a clean slate. Can you play that for me? If only I could go back and change some things. Set things straight. I wish I had a do-over. I've made choices. I've lost out. I've wished a thousand times I could go back and try again. hard not to imagine what might have been. If I had just stopped to think. If I had just done as I was told. If I hadn't thought I knew it all. Why didn't I just take a few deep breaths? Took one second to listen. Maybe my life would be better. Maybe there wouldn't be such a high price to pay. Things would be different now. I wouldn't have so many regrets. But is everything lost? Can I just get a do-over? Is there a way back to new beginnings? Because regret can mean a new beginning. When it's given to the one who produces a repentance. A repentance that delivers me from my grief. The one who takes my mistakes. And somehow redeems me through them. Who tells me I'm not the sum total of all my regrets? He tells me not to look back. Because there's nothing there to see. I am not my mistakes. He is faithful and just to forgive me. I just have to ask him. And then I can look straight forward. Forget what is behind me. And strain towards what is ahead. And walk away with all regrets erased by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Every day I'm given a clean slate. A clean slate? I get a clean slate. So how do we get that clean slate? Um, two things that Scripture tells us we have to do. Uh, the first, uh, to have a pure heart, um, means that we have to exercise the discipline of confession. We've talked about this before as a church, um, but the fourth principle of Celebrate Recovery is to openly examine and confess my faults to myself, to God, and to someone I trust. Can you just put that up there for a minute? Um, to openly examine and confess my faults to myself, to God, and to someone I trust. 
Um, th- this is a critical discipline. John Baker, who's the author of Celebrate Recovery, um, says that this is the step that separates those who just want to talk about being whole from those who are really willing, really willing uh, to become who God has made them to be, who really want to get healthy. Uh, I-, I had the, the privilege this week of meeting with a group of, of five people in our church who um, have expressed interest in being involved and maybe bringing Celebrate Recovery to our congregation in the future. And um, we, we got together on Thursday night and we talked a little bit about how the Celebrate Recovery ministry works and some of the nuts and bolts. But the most meaningful thing that we did was we introduced ourselves, we just went around and, and shared how we saw ourselves in recovery. And I got to tell you, the, the folks in that room before Thursday night, some of them knew each other socially through the church. Some of them were complete strangers. Um, but they had this unbelievable willingness to share their stories. Um, and, and in that hour or so that we spent together, um, as we went from person to person and shared our brokenness and how God had made us whole, I, I looked around the room and I said, these are absolutely the right people. This is exactly the folks that we need. I don't need people to help me in my recovery who are uncertain about how broken they've been. I need people who can look with eyes wide open to see their past and what's gone wrong and how God has helped them forward. And and so I think this is a critical component for us. If we want to be made whole again, um, if we want to be a people who are pure in heart, it begins with acknowledging our sin to ourselves, to God, and to one other person. Um, so I'm going to spend just a few minutes on this, and um, CR, Celebrate Recovery, has a number of sort of practical tools uh, about this particular discipline, and I just want to mention a couple of them. They're not original Celebrate Recovery, but they are really helpful. Uh, the first is they talk about making a moral inventory, and, and really quite simply, uh, this is to write down your story. Uh, And and so they say, take some time, pray and make space, and and literally take out a pen and paper and start writing down your story and write down the hurt that's been done to you and write down the ways that you have hurt others and write down um, what your life looked like when things were good, when you felt whole, Uh, and write down every place where your brokenness has affected you or affected somebody else. And, and, and that process of, of literally writing down your story and, and the pain done to you and the pain you've done is unbelievably important. Getting it on paper uh, makes it feel real and makes it specific and, and requires you uh, to confront that whole picture. And after you've written it down, um, then uh, quite simply, um, Celebrate Recovery encourages you to accept responsibility and ask forgiveness, right? Uh, accept responsibility and ask forgiveness means um, not, hey, God, I'll make you a deal, right? If you do this, then I'll do that. Um, or not, oh, hey, I know these bad things happened, but not really my fault. Let me explain why uh, it was okay when I did it. But to simply say, no, God, I, I messed up. I messed up. I own it, and I need your forgiveness. Um, by the way, if as you're going through that process, uh, and you're writing down the hurt that has been done to you, and you realize that you've been the victim of, of things that, like abuse that are not your fault, then when you get to that point of accepting responsibility, it is critical that you do not accept it as your responsibility, right? That you write down um, not guilty, 
not something that I'm responsible for, because the lie you're being told is that it's your fault, and it's not. So, uh, really simply, we take this moral inventory, we write down our sin, we own it, we ask forgiveness for it, and then um, we tell someone else. And this is really interesting. I, I, I hope we recognize that God is, is always willing and excited to forgive us. Uh, and I hope we recognize um, that there's some safety and security in, in having that conversation with God and bringing all of our, our history before God. But it's a lot riskier to do that with another person. And so, uh, as you think about this, um, this particular part of the discipline of confession, um, I want to ask you to, to recognize we're only as sick as our secrets. Um, that, that again and again in Scripture, we're encouraged to take those things that are in the darkness and bring them out into the light so they can be exposed and healed and made clean. But to whom you bring those things to is really important. Right? So, uh, I'm not suggesting you go to a bunch of complete strangers and say, hey, for the first time ever, let me air all my dirty laundry to you. Right? You've got to find somebody who loves Jesus and loves you and is um, mature enough to handle your story. And, and that might be a spouse or a great friend or someone at church. It, it, it might be your pastor, me. It could be anybody. Um, you want to find somebody for whom it is an honor that you want to have this conversation with them. I, very often, I've had the privilege of having people in the 12-step movement call me and say, hey, Jim, I want to do step five with you, right? In the 12-step movement, step five is roughly equivalent to this. Um, I want to do step five with you. Awesome. Um, and we sit down, and they share their story, um, and I communicate to them um, my gratitude and God's forgiveness, right? um, You need to find somebody in your life like that. Right, who will communicate to you their gratitude for your courage and God's forgiveness for your sin. Uh, and then last but not least in this confession um, process, um, after you've you know, been serious about your sin, written it down, um, confessed it to God, confessed it to someone else, you've you got to accept your forgiveness. Uh, and, and this is so important because we as a people have a tendency to just sit there and stew in the things we've done wrong. Uh, I actually, um, this is funny, but even today during our prayer of confession, um, I, I was praying and I had things to confess this week uh, silently. I, I always need more time during the silent prayer of confession because my list is usually long. So I'm, I'm sitting there and I'm thinking about the things I want to confess. And then um, I, I think the enemy took my head to stuff that I'd done months and years and years ago, and I started to confess that stuff too. And then I stopped myself. I said, whoa, whoa, whoa. No, no. I've already confessed that stuff. I've already been forgiven. I don't need to bring that back to God again. Um, but the, um, the decision to receive the forgiveness of Christ is really critical for us. Okay, so I'm, I'm, I'm flying through this because I want to get to the second principle. But, but just to recap really quickly, um, to be pure in heart means to openly examine and confess our sins to God uh, and to another person. Uh, and, and this process that Celebrate Recovery offers is a great one. It's not the only way to do it. Um, but we can't be right with God until we're honest with God and honest with ourselves. But um, that's not enough, okay? That's not enough. So um, I, I want to come back to Psalm 51 for a minute. 
And the story of David. Uh, you probably all know this story already. It's one of the more famous stories of King David. Um, but David's this pretty amazing guy in Scripture. Right? David's the man after God's own heart. He kills the giant Goliath because he's got so much faith in God. He becomes king. He is just this unbelievably good king who really puts God first in everything in his life. And he gets this covenant from God that says, um, you will always have an heir on the throne in your line forever. And of course, ultimately, Jesus comes from the line of David. But, but there's this point later in his life um, when things are comfortable and easy uh, that David opts to stay home when the kings are to go to war. And while he's home, he sees the wife of one of his good friends, the wife of one of his most elite soldiers, and he desires her and he sends for her and he sleeps with her, and he commits adultery. She gets pregnant, and then um, when he can't hide that, he has her husband killed in battle very intentionally in order to cover up his sin. After her husband dies, he um, marries her quickly and brings her into his household. Now, he's confronted um, by God through the prophet Nathan, and um, we get this beautiful prayer of confession that we read today, right, where, um, where we're told um, in these beautiful words, "'Have mercy on me, O God, according to Your steadfast love. Wash me thoroughly and cleanse me from my sin. I know my transgressions. My sin is ever before me.'" Now, we, we, we get this incredible um, honest recognition, and David does everything I'm saying that we should do to be pure in heart, right? He, he openly examines his life, he confesses to God, and he confesses to other people his sin. Maybe you remember the rest of the story. Um, the rest of David's life is kind of a disaster. It, it never really gets back on track. And if you read the rest of the story in, in 2 Samuel, it, it's really just one tragedy after another. And it seems like, well, wait a minute, if, if David has, has confessed his sin and been right with God, how is it that things stay so bad in his life for so long? Uh, and, and let me tell you why it is. Um, we're told that after um, David repents of his sin, I'm sorry, confesses his sin, um, then the child that Bathsheba was pregnant with dies. And he mourns the child, and then we're told David consoled his wife Bathsheba and went to her and lay with her and she bore a son and he named him Solomon. If, if my sin is here um, and I say, God, I really, really hate this sin. I don't want it in my life anymore. I don't want it um, in the, affecting the lives of people that I love anymore. God, please forgive me for doing it. And then I just stay here with my sin. Uh, that's not purity, right? The Bible says we're called to repent, to literally turn away from our sin and towards God. Uh, and, and this is what David never does, right? The heartbreaking story of David is that he has this beautiful confession, but he never repents, right? He never turns away. He stays with the woman that he murdered to have, Instead of saying, hey, you know what, I, I, I'm so sorry, we can't ever be together, I'll provide for your needs, if you get married to another man, I'll help you in that regard. No, he says, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to keep this thing that I got. 
So this is the fifth principle of Celebrate Recovery, and it comes from Jesus' instruction, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. The principle is that we will voluntarily submit to every change God wants to make in my life and humbly ask Him to remove my character defects. Another way to say this is that we repent, right? And we don't just confess our sin, but we repent, we turn away from it and towards God. And I want to suggest that there are um, three really simple um, problems or challenges with repentance that keep us from doing this well. I'm going to go through these fast, but I think they're really important. The first is um, we would really like to have a painless repentance, and there's no such thing as a painless repentance. It would be great if I could say, God, I'm really sorry that I did that thing, and I repent of it, and I'm going to stay with this woman that I committed adultery and murder to get, but I really am sorry I did it. There's no painless repentance, right? Um, So as you turn from your sin and towards God, there will be something that you have to give up, and it will cost you, and it will hurt. And it might be a relationship, a friendship, or something even more significant that you have to turn from in order to turn towards God. It might be something that feels um, really difficult to give up to you now in this stage of your life, though it could be less than a relationship. It might be um, a a method of relaxing that has been great for you for years. It might be the social media account that has uh, started to consume your life. It might be the video game that started to consume your life. It might be um, a relationship where you are trying uh, to fix someone who is not your responsibility to fix. It might be a false sense of control. It might be a chemical substance. It might be uh, the idols of power or wealth or money. But there is something that God is calling you to turn from so you can turn towards Him. Uh, whereas David is a, is a heartbreaking example of confession without repentance, uh, Zacchaeus is probably my favorite example of what real repentance looks like. Remember Zacchaeus, short little man, sycamore tree? Remember uh, Jesus comes to his house and he says, uh, he's a tax collector, so he's literally stolen money from people in his community to give to the Romans and to make himself rich. And he says to Jesus, today I will give half of all that I own to the poor, and from anyone whom I have defrauded, I will pay back four times as much. And then Jesus says, salvation has come to this house, for this man too is a child of Abraham. He has to, he has to give up something, right? There's, there's some cost associated with that repentance. Okay, so there's no painless repentance. There's also no partial repentance, no partial repentance. And I think this is what we'd really like to do, right? Uh, okay, I know I can't stay here forever, but what if I just do a little bit of a turn, right? Just a little bit of a turn. I can still see it. I'm just, just a little bit, right? Uh, imagine if you came and said, hey, Jim, I got to confess a sin to you. Uh, I, 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 I've, been, I've been taking money from my employer. And I said, wow, okay, that's, that's, thank you for sharing. Um, God can forgive you for that. Tell me, you know, what are we talking about? You're talking about a, a couple of postage stamps? No, Jim, I, I, I took $5,000 from my employer last year. Now, imagine if I said, okay, well, I, I don't want to go crazy wild here. We got to do this uh, in, a, in a slow process. So how about this year you only steal $4,000 from your employer? 
and next year three, and next year two, and next year one, and then you can be done with it, right? And if in that process you get caught, you just tell your employer, you talk to me, and you're working on um, dealing with your sin, and you'll get there eventually. You laugh because that sounds insane, right? Um, Because you can't work on sin like that, right? You can't say, yeah, I want to keep it in view. I'll just move a little bit. But we do this all the time, don't we? We say, all right, God, yeah, I'm really going to fix this sin in my life. And so I, I know that um, uh, this, this alcohol, this social media account, this video game, this relationship is a problem. And so I'm just going to scale back a little bit. Right? I'm not going to get rid of it in my life. I'm just going to scale back a little bit. Right? I, I want to keep the options open. I want to keep it in sight, but I'll just move a little bit away. Right? You can't bargain with the enemy, right? Uh, if you give him your coat, he'll take your shirt. If you give him an inch, he'll take a mile. Um, there's an old story. If you give a mouse a cookie, he wants a glass of milk, right? Um, that's how sin works. Uh, and so uh, there is no partial repentance. There's no saying, God, um, I just want to give up my sin a little bit. And, and the last but not least um, way that we get repentance confused is there's no perfect repentance. And this is really important. Um, there's no perfect repentance Here's what I mean by that. If I have a lifetime of habits um, and I'm trying to fix one of them, I've got a lifetime of, of, of uh, drinking alcohol and it has consumed me for years and years and years, the idea of, of giving that up forever and one day might be beyond me. That's perfect, right? Just one and done. What if I just give it up for today? Right? What if I just say, hey, today I'm not going to do that. Hey, I, I know this relationship is a problem for me and the way this person um, treats me is, is not the way I deserve to be treated, um, but I just feel this connection to them. I, I can't imagine giving that up forever. Okay, what if I just give that relationship up for today? Oh, boy, I just, uh, I don't know if I can be happy if I'm not um, um, doing this all the time. And so I really need this. I, I'm just going to give it up for today. And then tomorrow will be another day. And, and what if our goal isn't perfection but progress, right? Moving forward with God one day at a time, one victory at a time. Uh, there was an article that I read in August of last year, 2020, uh, as uh, the coronavirus pandemic was raging. This was an article about a different kind of virus um, and our victory over it. So in August of 2020, Africa was declared free uh, by an independent party of the wild polio virus. Um, now, this didn't make a lot of news. Maybe you saw this, maybe you didn't. Um, but we don't think about polio a lot, right, in our country, because we've had a vaccine, and uh, since 1952, when Jonas Salk invented it, we've been sort of moving towards this stage of saying, hey, we're going to have polio gone. Um, but this wasn't a small thing. To eliminate polio. It's already eliminated in North and South America, mostly eliminated in Europe. Um, eliminating it in Africa was a huge deal. By the way, the last country that had polio was Nigeria. Um, and um, over the last several years, there was a huge effort to reach the unreached parts of Nigeria with the polio vaccine um, because of the militant violence that are often taking place in that country. A number of those health workers died in the process of trying to get this vaccine out. But I got to say, um, when I read this, it, it sort of seemed like, yeah, okay, that was bound to happen eventually. Eventually, we're going to get rid of polio. Uh, but, but go back 68, 69 years, 
right, before the vaccine. And some of you remember, some of you um, know people who had polio. It was a horrific disease um, that affected children in horrible ways that we don't even worry about anymore. And 69 years ago, before there was a vaccine, or 70 years ago, um, it seemed an impossibility, right, that this was an illness that was um, part of human history for as long as we could remember, that would be there forever, that we had to fear and hide our children from, and and hope against hope that our kids wouldn't get sick. And the idea of polio being gone in 70 years was a complete impossibility. So how does this happen um, that we transition from an impossibility to an inevitability? Well, it wasn't that um, it was painless, and it wasn't that we um, did it perfectly, It was this battle after battle after battle where we kept moving forward, we kept working on this progress. We kept saying, um, God, um, we're not giving up on this battle, and today we'll save another child, and today we'll save another child. And I love that image as the image of how we conquer our sin, right? That, That when we choose to repent, when we choose to turn away from our sin and towards God, um, we don't do it without pain, and, and we don't do it um, in a partial way, and we don't do it perfectly. We just commit that today, God, today is going to be different, and tomorrow will be different, right? And every day, um, we'll get the victory for that day until eventually what was once impossible becomes inevitable. So I, I want to encourage you this week as you're reflecting on the call to confession and repentance to think about where in your life this might be necessary. And it, it might be for you that there is um, one glaring example of, of something that you need to work on that you know um, without me having to talk about, you've been thinking about this whole conversation. And if that's the case, I want to ask you to think about where you are, right? Have you examined your life and owned that sin and shared it with another and shared it with God? And have you begun that process of repentance of turning away? Maybe for you, um, there's not that one glaring example, but a whole host of small places where you know that you could be made more pure, right? Um, Where your fig paste might have a couple of insect heads in it. Um, In which case, this might not be a process that is as painful, um, but it's still a process that's essential for us as we work towards that goal of being pure, of, of hungering and thirsting for righteousness. So wherever you are, I want to invite you to bow your heads and to say a little prayer with me. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the call to purity. We thank you for the call to be a people who are um, 100% devoted to you. We know that we're not, but God, we know that through the grace of Jesus Christ, you offer us the opportunity for a clean slate. And so we pray that you could wash away our sin today. We pray, Lord, that you would allow us to see it and confront it and confess it and hand it over to you. And then we pray by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would enable us to turn away from it and towards you today. And Lord, we pray that every day we might make that same progress, uh, progressing towards wholeness in you until eventually what today might seem impossible, tomorrow is inevitable. And we thank you Uh, that God, you help us along the way. We thank you that when we stumble, when we make a mistake, when our progress is imperfect, you welcome us back with open arms. You pick us up, you brush us off, you set our feet back on the path, and you call us to come and follow you. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray.
Amen.